listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Church, I'll go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, uh, that Bible in the chair back in front of you is yours to use and keep this morning. Uh, and if you do have your Bible, or if you want to grab that one, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Again, if you need to use table of contents, no shame in that. It is a little tiny hard book to find. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verse uh, 19, actually verse 21 here in a minute. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Brandon Hayes. I'm our next gen pastor here at Southcrest. I'm excited to, to study God's word with you this morning. 1 John chapter 3. And, and before we dive into the text in verse 21, I want a little, need a little crowd participation. Uh, and that is going to be amongst yourselves. Here's what I want you to do. I want you in just a second. Uh, hopefully you're near somebody or even can scoot down for a second if you need to. I want you to take a minute to discuss how you would describe your prayer life. So not like, I pray five times a day, here's where I pray, but more so the quality of your prayer life. You're gonna give some terms to define the quality of your prayer life. What, what would you say about it? And you're in church, so don't be lying up in here, okay? But how would you describe your prayer life? I'm gonna give you a second to think about it. All right, that was a good second. Now with somebody around you, take a minute to discuss what does your prayer life look like? The quality of it. Ready, set, you can talk in church. You got this. <clears throat> All right, I, uh, I appreciate you doing that. Get the wheels turning a little bit. Uh, I think most of us, I'm not gonna take a poll, but, but most of us, uh, hopefully some people, like hopefully there was at least a few who were like, man, like it's really good right now, right? But probably a lot of us, I think as talk to fellow believers would say that we're, we're not really excited about the quality of our prayer life. Like we, I think a lot of us feel like, man, it, it could just, it could improve, it could, it could be better. And I think so many Christians have tried various things to make it better. So maybe you've, and that's a good thing. Maybe like you, you prayed earlier or you tried to pray longer or you use the Psalms as a way to pray, which is a great way to do it. Or maybe you got um, a, a book that helps you pray different portions of the Bible. That's a great thing to do. But so often, if we're honest, we would say, man, it's not quite what, what I hoped it would be. Or I, I thought maybe I would be further along in, in my prayer life by this point in my life. Well, it, it's interesting. We're gonna see here 
in a second that John makes a really cool connection between our prayer life and, and something else in our lives. Here's what I wanna ask you. You don't need to answer out loud. <laughs> Could a lame prayer life, when I say lame, I, I mean like not all that it should be, right? It's not really flourishing. It's not great. So I mean by lame. Could a lame prayer life be the result of a lack of obedience? If you have a lame not exciting, not flourishing prayer life, could it be that there's a lack of obedience? John, we're gonna see here in a second, connects those two. Obedience and our prayer lives. And I'm gonna venture to, to say that probably most of us don't think about connecting those together and that they actually like affect one another. Could a lame prayer life be the result of a lack of obedience. And, and here, here's what I want you to see. You're gonna see it right out the gate in the text here in a second. Th this, is, this is not a drive-by guilting this morning. Like, like John, like as we read through the scripture, John's not like, feel guilty, feel guilty, feel guilty. Like that's not what this is. No, John's inviting us to something better. So this is not uh, John saying, quit running around the pool, you're gonna hurt yourself. No, this is John already in the pool and saying, hey, like that hot, dry, dusty concrete you're standing on is not near as nice as this water. You should, you should jump in and try it out. This is God inviting you to something better. And, and to know what, what is better, really we need to ask, how does obedience, what effect does obedience have on our prayer life? That, that's the the question that John's going to answer. So again, we need to think about, could my lack of obedience be creating a lame prayer life for me? But John's going to, to help us answer that question, John's going to help us with the question of like, what difference does obedience make in our prayer lives? How does it affect your prayer life? So with that said, let's jump in in verse 21 of chapter three. <clears throat> Dear friends, again, it's not a drive-by guilting. It's not just me wanting to be nice and not give hard truth. No, that's John's tone. Dear friends, and he says, if our, if our hearts don't condemn us, before we even read further, we need to think about what this means. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, what in the world does that mean? We could guess, we could make something up, but the best way to read the Bible is to know the surrounding context, let the Bible speak for itself. So let's take our camera lens and zoom out a little bit wider, all right? So that means we're gonna go back up and read up above it. Go to verse 19. He says, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Here's this phrase again, whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Well, dadgummit, now we have another problem. This, what is this in verse 19? Do you think we should just make something up? You guys are catching on, right? No, we're gonna zoom out even a little bit wider. Go back to verse 18 that we talked about last week. If you look at all of really 11 through 18, he's talking about 
love and how love should be a defining characteristic of the believer's life. And even verse 18, he says, little children, talking to all believers because John is an elder statesman at this point, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So he's saying, put, put your love into action. And all through First John, this idea of like, if you know Christ, you should obey Christ. So obey him through loving others. So now, now we'll work, we'll just go back and zoom in a little tighter again. Verse 19, this What's he talking about? He's talking about love for others. Y'all still with me? Like, again, we're just letting the Bible speak for itself. So this, our love for other people, which is really obeying Christ, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth. So first of all, we know it's evidence that we know Jesus Christ, that we've been saved by grace through faith. If, again, verse 18, if our lives bear it out in loving action. Showing love to other people. It doesn't mean that we perfectly do that, but our lives give evidence of knowing Christ by the way we love other people. It's how we know we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. And he says something interesting. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. I love, I'm gonna throw my wife under the bus real quick. Um, But we had a great conversation yesterday because we had the same experience. When I first read this passage and she said the same thing, Verse 20, the end of verse 20 sounds like this amazing encouragement. Encouragement For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. Like this, this thought of like, well, God knows who I really am. And we try to perceive that as this encouragement of like, so even when I feel bad and doubt myself, God knows who I really am. That, that, that's a misreading of the text that I did too. He says, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Who better than anybody else knows how sinful you are? Not a trick question. God, yeah. He knows all things. He's greater than your heart. So yes, like he's greater than your fickle heart. But what he's really talking about, he's talking about our love for others. So we, we often kind of get in this self-condemnation mode, like our hearts condemning us, doubting our salvation, because we're not obeying the ways of Jesus. We're not following him. And then when you add to that, that God is greater than our heart. So God is, excuse me, he's more merciful than us. He's more loving than us. He's quicker to give grace than us. He's greater than our hearts and he knows all things. So what John is saying is no wonder, sorry, no wonder our hearts condemn us sometimes because we, we often disobey God and, and God is more merciful than us. He knows how sinful we are. So no wonder our hearts are prone to condemn us. What, what he's saying when he says this phrase, our hearts condemning us, it's, it's doubt. It's wondering like, man, man, man am, am, I, am I really saved? It's that inner question mark of, oh man, do, do I really know Christ? Am I really walking with the Lord? What John is doing by this in verse 19, the word this, he's showing your love for other people. First of all, yes, is, is evidence that you know Christ and it's, it's objective evidence that you can point to when you're doubting. But he's also showing that your obedience, your love to other people, you're, you're following the commands of Jesus. Your obedience is directly related to the experience of assurance in your life. Are y'all still with me? This is kind of an interesting passage, a little thicker than normal, I think. To say it maybe a little more clearly, 
He's saying disobedience stirs up doubt in your life. When you're not following the ways of Jesus, you're not walking in obedience, it stirs up doubt in your life. So just like to be real clear, he's not talking about works-based salvation. He's not saying, well, if you're not perfect, then you should have all this doubt in your life. No, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if, any, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 8 says, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. You're saved by grace. A righteousness from God has been, it's been given to us through Jesus, the righteousness of God. You can't earn it. But here's what John's pointing out. There's two different things in the Christian life. There's our permanent standing of who we are in Christ, saved by grace through faith, child of God. I have someone who has paid the price for my sins. But there's also our experience in the Christian life. Let me ask you, do you always feel like who you really are in Christ, do you always feel that in your gut? No, no. You don't always feel it. Saying sometimes in this broken world, our hearts condemn us. And you know what stirs that condemnation, that, that, that guilt, that doubt up even more is your disobedience. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. So now we got some context. Let's go back and read verse 21 again. Dear friends, again, it's not throwing shade at us. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, translation for walking in obedience, what happens? We have confidence before God. And we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. And a lot there, first thing though. What happens when you walk in obedience? First point we see in the text, your prayers become confident. Your prayers become confident. So he says, if our hearts don't condemn us, so again, we're walking in obedience. We have confidence before God. Think about that. When you're walking in obedience, living out the, the commands of Jesus, living how he's told us to live, your prayers become more bold, more sure, more steady. You gain confidence in his presence. So here's what John's saying. If, if when you go to talk to the Lord, your prayers are fidgety and insecure and unsure and kind of, I don't know, uncomfortable. It's very possible, maybe even probable. It's because you're walking in disobedience. Your obedience makes your prayers more confident. How many of us remember Growing up, maybe like you're in this stage now and your parents go out for the day or whatever, they go run some errands and they tell you, hey, while I'm gone, you need to what? You can probably finish the statement for me. Clean your room. 
Oh, wash the dishes. Okay, like, like lots of options here. Okay, yeah. When we get back, that room better be clean, right? So they're gone for three hours, but you're having so much fun. It just seems like 20 minutes, right? They come back in the door. You look at your room. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so you go and you're like, hey, mom and dad. How was your time away? How's it going? Some of y'all can tell this is hitting way too close to home. <laughs> and you're talking, but the whole time you're having a conversation, you're thinking, please don't look at my room. Please don't look at my room. Please don't ask me about my room, right? You're, you're nervous. You're, you're on edge. Is it because you think that they will disown you as their child because you didn't clean your room? Hopefully not, right? We have counselors available if that's the case. <laughs> no. You know it's not gonna affect your standing. You're still their child. Uh, they still love you even though you didn't clean your room. But it sure does affect your experience of your relationship with them, doesn't it? They still love you. But when you know you've disobeyed, it's hard to look them in the eyes and just have a, a, a fun, joy-filled conversation because you know you've disobeyed. Isn't it nice? Like even like from a parent's perspective, and a lot of us aren't, a lot of you aren't there, but like even from a parent's perspective, man, it's just so, so fun. Like when your kid can look you in the eye and to the best of their ability, like they've been obeying you. And it's funny too, isn't it parents? Like kids think, especially little kids, they think, they're good at lying. They're totally not, right? Like, students, younger people, isn't it nice when you have a conversation with your parents and you know you're not perfect, but at the same time, you know like, you've been doing everything you can to honor them and obey them? It just kind of frees up the conversation. You're not nervous about what they may discover. Oh, hopefully, hopefully they don't ask me about it. No, you just, just quality conversation. It's the same thing with your heavenly father. When you walk in obedience, your heart's not condemning you. I love the, a more literal translation uh, is, um, I don't wanna mess this up here, is see something bad. So when your heart is like, alert, alert, I see something bad. <laughs> Man, it's, a, it's hard to have a conversation. Isn't it nice when your heart's not condemning you and you can just have confidence as you talk with the Lord. Again, not because you earned your salvation. No, because you know, as a child of God, you've been walking as he desires. You've been walking in obedience. Now, that's awesome to have confidence with God as you're talking with him because of obedience. But there's even more in the text. We already kind of hinted at it in verse 22. They tells us that happens when we walk in obedience. I'm gonna read starting in verse 21 again. He says, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Okay, second truth right there in the text. Can't miss it, here it is. What happens to our prayers when we walk in obedience? When we walk in obedience, our prayers become productive. They, come, they become productive. That's why he says, we receive whatever we ask. Again, and if our hearts don't condemn us, we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. When you walk in obedience, your heart's not condemning you, your prayers become more powerful and you experience the effectiveness of your prayer life. Now, hopefully I can, I, 
you're already seeing, we have to be careful how we read this passage. We have to be careful how we understand this text, mainly because of the word, because. Look at halfway through 22, it says, we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. And then he, he tells us what those commands are. Verse 23, he says, this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. So one of two ways, or really two ways you could read this. That word because, we could read this in the genie in a bottle way, Christina Aguilera. <laughs> Some of you are too young to get that, or too old, I don't know. <laughs> genie, genie and lamp, what do I mean by that? Well, if I obey God just right, if I love people just like he told me to, if I believe just right, then I rub the little magical lantern and God has to obey me. He has to do whatever I ask. Is that a biblical perspective? No, why not? Who's in charge? If, if I can do something and then God owes me, then who's in charge at that point? Us, am I in charge of God? Thank God, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, he's not a genie lamp that if you obey just right, then you get whatever you want. God's not a vending machine. Well, I put in my three quarters of obedience, so give me a Dr. Pepper. Like, no, it's not a genie in a bottle. So, so what does it mean? The other way to understand this, the biblical way, is that God is a good heavenly father He's in charge of the universe and he's created prayer in such a way that when, when you don't pray the way he designed it, it malfunctions. Like a lot of things that God created in this world. I was talking to a guy who loves mechanics earlier, like the mechanical things, like you use something the way it wasn't designed to work and it malfunctions. When you use something the way God designed it to work, it's a beautiful thing. God designed prayer that it flourishes and that it really only is even, can be considered prayer when you're walking in obedience. So it's not this, this idea of earning. Well, I, I obey God's commands. I did what is pleasing in his sight. So now he owes me. No, it's, this is what prayer is. As I walk in obedience, I obey his commands. Like he answers my prayers. Listen to the way that David Jackman um, unpacks this. He says, prayer is the expression of our request to a loving heavenly father who loves both to hear and to answer his children according to his wisdom as to what is best. Or as John puts it later in chapter five fourteen, according to his will. Understood in this way, verse 22 becomes not so much an impossible challenge to obey perfectly, nor does, I'll insert this, nor does it become, uh, verse 22 is not this name it and claim it silliness of, well, I obeyed, so now I can name it and claim it. No, it's ridiculous. 
No, it's an encouragement. As we seek to live in a way that pleases God, practicing his truth and love, here it is, huge, our desires become molded to his. We want his will in our lives and in the lives of others rather than pursuing our own selfish desires. The more we enjoy and develop that relationship as obedient children, the more we shall find ourselves asking and receiving those things that are pleasing to God. And then one more quote, I think this is really helpful. Thinking about the idea of our desires being molded to the Lord's as we obey him and walk with him. The Prince of Preachers, the late Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this, if you want power in prayer, you must have purity in life. There's no promise in the Bible that whatever you ask, God will give you. No, it is made to persons of a certain character. Remember this, and he quotes Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desire of the man who delights in God is always in accordance with the mind of God. Therefore, he is the man or woman that can get whatever he wants. When you do all things that please God and your life is sanctified and holy, it is then that you abide in his love. Has not Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Unsanctified desires will be graciously refused, but the will of this sincerely, sincerely obedient man is conformed to the will of God and therefore it shall be fulfilled. That's good stuff. John Piper says it this way. Prayer is designed to give power in the path of obedience. Prayer is not to just, whatever I wanna do over here, just like God, give me what I want. No, like, that's not even prayer. That's just paganism of thinking you control God. No, prayer is God's children walking to the best of their ability and powered by the Holy Spirit in obedience to God. And as their heart's desires are becoming God's desires and they're praying the things that God desires, man, he delights in answering those prayers. When you walk in obedience, your prayers become more productive because then you're actually praying. You're not just trying to control God by doing whatever you want, but then God help me out too. No, you're, you're actually walking with God. I believe it's first Peter tells us that God turns his face away from the wicked. But he, he delights in hearing the prayers of his children. Think of it like this if you're still struggling a little bit. God's will and your obedience, your living out what he's commanded us to do, are meant, they're created to flow as one river. So when you're walking in obedience, obeying what God has commanded you to do, and those are becoming your desires, the things of God, of course your prayers make progress downstream. Of course they see productivity. Of course they, they flow and, and seem to get somewhere because they're in accordance with God's will. Y'all with me? Of course he delights in those prayers. You're, you're walking with him. So his will carries those prayers downstream and you see them flourish. But y'all, when we choose disobedience to, to choose to walk in sin, it's like you jumping out of the river of God's will 
and going and jumping in a stale, stanky, stagnant, what do we call these? Playa Lake. <laughs> Getting in it, which they're super dry. Please God, let it rain today. But it's like you jumping in a Playa Lake and wondering why your life seems kind of stagnant. Like, God, I'm praying, I'm talking to you, but if like I'm just sitting around, nothing's happening. My prayers aren't very productive. Because you're sitting in a selfish, stagnant Playa Lake. And God's not gonna bless that. He's not gonna bless you choosing to live in and pursue sin. And then God, will you just help me out? No, jump out of the stale, selfish, stagnant Playa Lake and jump back into the river of God's will by obeying him and see your prayers flourish. What happens when we walk in obedience? We receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. So to go back to the question I kind of led with this morning, could a lame prayer life, if you're experiencing a lame prayer life, could that be the result of a lack of obedience? Let's, let's now define lame with biblical perspective. Could an insecure fruitless, unproductive prayer life be the result of a lack of disobedience? Well, biblically, yes, for sure, it could be. (laughs) Is that what you're experiencing? If your prayer life is unfruitful, seems ineffective, you, you feel uneasy before God, lack of confidence as you, talk, as you talk to him, a total disconnect there because disobedience creates distance. It's because of disobedience. That maybe even like some, some of us, maybe we've like gotten to the point where you, we've kind of given up on prayer life. Like it's just throw up a quick emergency prayer in the car on the way to work or like it's just really impromptu, like, which prayers can be impromptu, but like if your prayer life is only impromptu when you're stressing out, it's probably not really healthy. Like it's the only time I talk to my wife is when I'm stressing out, that's not gonna be good for our marriage, right? No, if that's kind of defining your prayer life, maybe the problem is, is disobedience. I'm gonna ask the worship team to, to come on up because we're gonna close here in just a second. But I want you to know that, again, verse 21, dear friends, God's not condemning you this morning, you terrible Christians. No, he's inviting you to something better. To jump out of the selfish, stale, stagnant Playa Lake and jump into the river of God's will and, and, and pray and talk with him as you seek to obey him and experience your prayers become confident and productive. So maybe this morning, God's calling you to jump out of the pond or the the Playa Lake of anger and jump in to the river of God's will of self-control. Maybe he's inviting you to jump out of the the pond of worry and jump into the river of trust. To jump out of the pond of lust and jump into the river of seeing people as God sees them and as he created them for you to see them. Jumping out of the pond of self-centeredness and jumping into the river of God's will of laying down your life for others. Maybe he's calling you to jump out of the pond of being judgmental and impatient and to jump into the river of God's will of loving 
others. Maybe he's calling you to jump out of the pond of, of always being busy, go, 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 go. And to jump into the river of God's will of taking time to spend moments with God. To jump out of the pond of impulsivity and jump into the river of God's will of being faithful. Of a long obedience, as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction. He's inviting you to jump into the fruit and joy of a powerful prayer life propelled by obedience. If your prayer life is lacking this morning, maybe it's due to a lack of obedience. Here's the cool thing. One of the cool things. I keep saying this, but I think it's because if you don't get it, you won't respond to our good Heavenly Father. With texts like this, God is not in heaven. I got those jokers today. They're going to feel bad. Now they've got to pray more. That's, That's not what he's doing. Dear friends, his arms are open wide and he said, hey, like, please, there's something better. Get out of that pond, come into the river, walk with me, obey me. And I, I want you to experience the joy and the confidence and the productivity of a healthy prayer life. It starts with you just, just walking with me. You know, it's interesting, John 15, Jesus tells us that as we walk with him, as we obey Christ, in other words, as we abide in Christ, that's where we find joy. So again, God is not like, just do this because I said so. No, this is again, <laughs> God calling us into the pool to be refreshed. Like, yes, quit running around. You're gonna hurt yourself. Come get in the pool, not because I'm a mean God. No, because I'm inviting you to something better. When you obey, when you walk in obedience, there is joy with your walk with Christ and there is confidence and fruitfulness as you talk to Him. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you just a couple of minutes to kind of reflect. I think all of us, every single believer in here could take time to think about, maybe even write it down on a piece of paper on your phone. What is the pond or the playa lake that you need to jump out of? Or what does it look like to jump into God's will? So I gave a big list there at the end. Maybe I didn't list your, your deal. What is the pond, the playa lake that you need to jump out of? What is that sin that you've been walking in disobedience? And what does it look like to jump in to God's will and walk in obedience? Now, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you here in a second as when, I be, when I'm quiet to, to write that down. Like not just, oh, cool, and walk out, like to write it down and, and say, God, would you help me to do this? I, know, I can't follow you, I can't obey you apart from your spirit working in me. Would you empower me to do this? And the second thing I want you to consider, and maybe for some of us that could spend our, like you could spend your whole response time with that. But the other thing I want you to consider is, have you given up on your prayer life? thinking that it's just not good and it's not effective, it's kind of lame. Like maybe it's that because you've not been walking with obedience. My challenge to you is to talk with the Lord, repent and say, God, would you help me to get serious about spending time with you in prayer? Like to, to come back to prayer, to quit quitting on prayer, come back to spending time with the Lord. Hey, write down, Make a note on your phone. What does that look like? Does that mean getting up earlier? Does that mean picking some psalms to pray through in the morning? Like, like, what does that look like? Don't just walk out like, oh, cool, obedience affects my prayer. No, like, (laughs) make a plan to 
to live differently. God's word demands a response. I'll give you a few minutes to, to pray, to talk to the Lord, to make some notes, and then we're gonna respond with a song. And during that song, there'll be some folks at the back at the coffee center and at the welcome center that would love to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions you might have. We're here for you. Take a minute and talk with God and then we'll sing together. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 